Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hit it. Uh-huh. The, Why is that? The government, the government, the government, the government. 
Islam, Assalamu alaikum, Hotep, Shalom. I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Conscious Vibes Radio. Of course, I am your host, Ramiel Ilbay. And today's subject, we are going to get into breaking biblical code. So before we jump into all the subjects or the subject of discussion, we want to do as we normally do and uh, make a few announcements. Um, as a reminder, we do have the classes in the Sacramento Territory that are um, going on biweekly at 3411 Uh That is right off of 12th Avenue by uh, Sacramento City College. Um, that is a biweekly study class. We also, or that class is uh, run by Brother Hakeem El Bay. Uh, for more information regarding that study class, and there will be um, a special study class going on this Saturday, so I would advise everyone who is in that area uh, to come out and uh, support um, support the study class this Saturday. Uh, there also is the study class that goes on in the uh, Oakland-San Francisco territories, and that goes on every Thursday, and it takes place at 3100 <clears throat> uh, Telegraph, 3100 Telegraph. If you are in that area, um, please come out and join us live. It starts at 7 p.m. and goes to 9 p.m. We're actually um, finishing up the Constitution uh, study and going into <clears throat> going into the Morris and Divine National Movement next. So we will literally, um, this will be our, our final week for the Constitution. And then starting next um, next week on that Thursday, then we will get into uh, the history um, of the Moore's Divine National Movement. And I would advise all who, again, are in the area to definitely come on out and support the class live um, if you're there, you know, if you're around. Uh, there's nothing like um, being at these different classes and being able to um, fellowship, you know, with the um, with the Moors. Uh, that are in the territory and get to know and develop camaraderie with everyone. Also, um, I'm very proud to announce the launch of More Unity Clothing and, and Marine Military-Minded Apparel. The On last Wednesday, uh, we actually had the official launch of the online store 
for uh, more unity clothing. And we have an assorted line of polos, uh, tees for women, and we'll be putting up the T-shirts for men. And then we have other designs that are also coming in. Um, But I really want to emphasize that we definitely want everyone to um, this is actually the first true, true um, line of clothing that represents and presents thoroughly uh, Aboriginal um, Moorish heritage all around the globe. So we've got different style um, items coming out, but all of them represent something from an archaic um, point of view and even a uh, modern point of view, uh, such as we're taking and we're using um, the archaic uh, attributes given to different land masses or districts to bring those things back to life. So you'll see that we have a polo that has the um, has embroidered on it Hikukta. And the use of the attribute, the kupta given to the landmass, instead of calling it the colonial term of Egypt. And we also have um, polo, a polo coming out uh, that says Habishas. And instead of using the colonial term Ethiopia, we also have um, um, polos coming out that says Tano, um, we're, uh, and all these are embroidery. We actually have the more unity logo, what we call the um, alchemist and the serious polo, which is polos that have the um, circle seven on the uh, sleeve. And all these is embroidery. This is high-quality material, high-quality embroidery um, on those polos. We have uh, clothing for the uh, Moabite women uh, with the use of the unk, um, uh, bedazzled in with uh, high-quality fabric, the same fabric that you would get if you were going to a BB's uh, to get their their, uh, line that just simply says BB. Uh, but, again, the purpose of this whole line is to promote our ancient archaic culture, um, and they make for conversation starters. I had on the uh, alchemist polo yesterday and went to an event and literally had, I think it was six, at least six individuals come up to me um, speaking and talking to me based on the polo alone. You know, one brother who was new to uh, the science, you know, greeted me with Islam and introduced himself because he knew that just from the very fact that I had on, that I was adorned in this uh, in, in this apparel, that I was presenting myself as a Moor. And so we was able to build. Um, and, and so they, they make conversations happen without you having to say anything. So a lot of times for those who may not be as comfortable 
walking around, starting conversations, just throwing on the polo. You know, we have the vintage American polo, and it looks looks incredible with the fez. I mean, it just it, it's the exact same color as our fez. Um, it's the 1828 original American. That's what's embroidered on. So we really want your support. You can go to Square Up dot com square up dot com and let me see here let me so I can give you the whole thing there it is it's square up dot com forward slash store forward slash more um hyphen, unity, hyphen, clothing, more unity, clothing. And so, again, support the clothing line. The more you support us, the more, you know, we're going to be bringing out new new things. We have a line of thermos coming for the winter. Um, we have some, some uh, dresses that we're going to be making. Uh, support the Maureen military-minded apparel. We're going to have some things dropping with that tomorrow. Um, so we're excited about it. And uh, we hope that you share our excitement and uh, support us as uh, we support you. Um, you know, do that for us as we do many things uh, for you on our side. You can, again, go to squareup.com uh, forward slash store forward slash moors hyphen unity hyphen uh, clothing, and uh, that will take you there. If not, send me a um, an email to my Gmail account if you need any um, information about the classes or if you need any information about the clothing, you can send me, uh, drop me a line at northgatebay at gmail.com, northgatebay at gmail.com. And... Um, I'll get you the information that you need. So let's go ahead and jump into um, the subject for uh, for the day. Breaking biblical code. So <clears throat> when we're looking at codes of the Bibliothelial text, um, we want to start with um, Understanding what a version is. What is a version? What is a translation? And what is a transliteration? And those key differences will reveal to you a lot of um, what's going on with how the information is coded. A version, when, when you look at the King James Version. A version, by definition, is someone's viewpoint versus someone else's viewpoint. It is a change of a venue to another venue. It can be in opposition to others' venues or versions. So a version is a point of view. So when you're looking at the King James 
Virgin. Virgin itself is telling you it's King. It's written from the King James point of view. That's very, very important to understand when you're looking into what you're reading. Now, when you're looking at the word translation, a translation is the interpreting the dialect or a foreign dialect or language and putting the, its that dialect into your language, uh, or excuse me, it is taking it and putting it, the meaning of that text into your language. So someone will give you a sentence, and then you translate the meaning of that sentence into your language. Now, with a translation, because you're dealing with what would be termed you are taking the meaning of it yourself and attempting to translate it into your language and find the same type of meaning. A translation has error because a translation, for instance, you have the term um, swarthy. Now, the term swarthy, S-W-A-R-T-Y, or S-W-A-R-T-H-Y, is a Germanic word that means dark. It would translate, translate to the word black the modern connotative linguistic style that's used here on this continent today. But with that translation, there's error because the word swarthy does not mean the word black because the word black means pale. But that's a translation. And so understanding that there is a huge difference between translation with a translation and what is being can be said. Through translation, you can interject connotative linguistics into it. So, for instance, if you were translating Blanco, Blanco in Spanish means white. Blanco is Moore's Latin, and in this, in the um, English, it means white. Okay? Now, that would be proper. But to take swarthy and say swarthy means black, when black actually means pale, with that translation, you can introduce connotative linguistics, and you can distort meaning, which is what happens with translations. 
So you'll see things such as the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, which is the heliotext that the Jehovah's Witnesses use. Now, then you have what's called transliteration. transliteration. Now, transliteration is the trans is moving, literally moving the script um, from one language into your script that would say the same word. So if you were taking someone's attribute, okay, for instance, if you're taking um, the word in in, um, Manchuria and their language that would be written as Kim. If you took the word Kim from one of the language of Manchuria, what what is today called China, you would simply translate it K-I-M. Here, that's a transliteration. You simply find the same word that has the same meaning in your language. Kim stays Kim. You transliterate a name. Now, the difference would be is that they will take the name Yeshua and then translate it to Jesus. They will translate it to Jesus. And I'm skipping over, okay, the hopes that's apparent in there. But I'm giving it to you how they're telling you what they're doing. They will tell you that Yeshua translates into Jesus. Because to translate means to take the word and put it into what they you can term the modern word in your language that would mean the same thing. That allows for the integrity to be challenged of what's going on. Whereas Yeshua would translate to Hoshua or Joshua if you were transliterating. When you're translating, you're able to say it means or translates to Jesus. Hopefully you can see the difference. So starting there, anytime that you see any text that has the letter J, you should automatically know that that is a farce. That's a fraud. Of course, the letter J did not come around to the 12th century. So it's not possible. Anyone who ever existed pre-12th century with a letter J attached to 
their attribute. It's not possible. So these are the way translations go. If you look at the first um, King James Version, everything that says Jesus says Jesus in there. So you you have Jesus, and that becomes Jesus. Now you can literally find the uh, original King James Version on your on your Google. You can do a Google search for original King James Version of the Bible, and it'll come up as a PDF, and you can see that there is no Jesus as Jesus. But later on, 12th century, they start to change those things, and you start getting the J. Now, with the writing of the New Testament, also begins garners an issue. You have a scholar who modernly is referred to as Flavius Josephus. Now, Flavius Josephus is supposed to have lived um, after Isa or Yeshua. And he was supposed to have wrote what was called Antiquities of the Jews. Antiquities of the Jews is supposed to be a historic account of all of world history, starting with um, Adam and Eve. Now, of course, it should be apparent because antiquities of the Jews, for those who study, began or was written or was supposed to have been written uh, around 66 A.D. So if you're following along closely with what I just told you, you should know that that's impossible because there couldn't have been a Flavius Josephus in 66 A.D. It's not possible. This could not exist. Why? There's no letter J. So we want to backtrack and to get the history of the hopes because Flavius Josephus is known as the most respected scholar of so-called Jewish history. And Antiquities of the Jews is one of the most well-respected documents um, in the archives for Jewish history. Now, many may have read the Antiquities of the Jews. If you read it, let's say, 10 years ago, you'll notice that there have been changes made um, to Antiquities of the Jews. There are many changes that have taken place to the document itself. One of the huge changes that took place is that the Vatican removed the description of Isa. They removed the description of Yeshua out of it. Because in the antiquities of the Jews, 
Yeshua is described as short and dark. He is described as short and dark. And that has since been removed out of antiquities of the Jews. One of the reasons that it was removed out is because of a a poet, uh, an artist, uh, a rapper named Rathcast who made what in my um in my thoughts is, is the most important um, song or rap song ever. For those who would want to listen to it, um the song is called Nature of the Threat. If I remember correctly it was made in nineteen in the mid nineteen nineties. My estimation is the most important song that's ever written in, in hip-hop history. It's called Nature of the Threat. The artist is Razzcast. It's a seven-minute song of world history. And the song is extremely thorough. In fact, it's so thorough that in 19, when I heard it, that was the first time I'd heard the more, of the Moors. That's the first time I heard of Flavius Josephus. Um, that was when I learned of the um, of the Muslim Moors going into Spain, um, that's when I learned that the term gymnasium uh, is gymnasium is Greek for the word naked. That's when I learned that uh, Thanksgiving is actually a celebration of the defeat of the Moors in Andalusia, or what is referred to as Spain. Um, I mean that song again. For those who have the time, I definitely would advise you listening to it. And passing it along. Um, that's when I learned that Christmas is a, was a celebration, uh, or when uh, things were codified, was a part of the celebration of Saturnalia. Um, this is in one song. So once that song came out, many people started to read Antiquities of the Jews because it's mentioned. Flavius Josephus. Um, is mentioned in the song because of how he describes Yeshua. But let's deal with the issue of Flavius Josephus. Now, we don't have time to go into the complete history of Flavius Josephus, um, but if you have a pen and paper, I'm going to give you a few keys, and then you can do your research from there. Uh, Flavius Josephus, again, never existed. There is no person from 66 uh, A.D. um, with the name Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus was indeed Arius Piso, A-R-R-I-U-S, Arius Piso, P-I-S-O. Arius Piso was a descendant of the Ptolemies. And by being a descendant of the Ptolemies, who were rulers in Ecupta at different parts and times, Arias Piso had, um, he was able to view and had uh, the ability to see the Mananetter. 
Arias Pythos was a playwriter, and he was a playwriter for the um, the hierarchy. He made plays for the entertainment of the king, uh, the queen, um, and the nobility of Ikupe at the time. And with those plays, what Arias Pysos would do is that he would take the scenes from the Metanetta and he would literally make them into plays. And those plays, again, would be the entertainment for the nobility, or the so-called nobility of Ikupta. At one point in time, or around this point in time, there were arisings, uprisings uh, that were happening in Ikupta from the Aboriginal people because the Ptolemies were invaders. But the Ptolemies um, were Albion invaders. Now, in in actuality, um, they were amalgamated invaders. So they were not uh, pure Caucasoids. They were actually um, amalgamated. Because of the uprisings that was going on by the Aboriginal people and those others amalgamated people who the the Ptolemy line um, had enslaved, Arias Piso was summoned uh, to put together a text and to take ancient teachings and put them into um, a document that would help to quell the uprisings. Now, for those who are looking into it, you'll also see that the Ptolemies were descendants Um, from the line of King Herod also. What Arias Pisos did was that he literally took the plays that he was doing from the Meta Meta into uh, a text form. Now, this text form was written... um, with two different natures or two different understandings. Depending on your degree of knowledge would also depend on what you would, what you could read out of this text. Again, the text was formulated to quell the uprising. So what he proceeded to do was to take these stories and make them into historical narratives and to make characters from these stories that would give the people hope and that would give them um, the ability to to see guidance outside of themselves and to see that there was something coming for them in the future if they would just stay good people. So he began to ascribe the uh, rites and rituals um, from the meta netter, and then codify them and give them to the people. Now, if you were of the class of the learned, 
then your understanding of the text would be different. Because during this time, you still were of the era of the Gnostic teachings. So the Gnostic teachings were still uh, closely aligned, um, close, very closely aligned uh, in the text. But you would have to have been someone who actually was of the class of those who were allowed to see and to read those type of texts. And if not, then, of course, you would never, ever know that those things were there at all. Now, Rias Chrysos, as he does these things, he also writes himself into these different texts. And then as he gives them to the people, they they begin to a new field, a new course of study to teach the people these these new texts. Now, the new text goes on to be called the New Testament. And from that New Testament, you get the different stories with the different characters that never existed. And most of those characters are either two or two come about two different ways. Either your characters um, that are represented in the Bibliothelio text or attributes of many characters compiled into one or they are from the ancient metanetta and compiled and given different different names. And you'll find that if you were to turn to uh, Galatians, many are taught, again, that the Bibliothelio text is literal. But even in Galatians, they actually tell you different. If you start in Galatians 4 and you go 22, it'll tell you that 4 is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, and one bears children who are slaves. This is Hagar. If you that's from the New International Version. If you read the same same uh, verse. I mean, if you see the international version, it's telling you that these things are being taken figuratively, not are to be taken. In the New Living Translation, it tells you these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. If you read the New Standard Version, it tells you now this may be interpreted allegorically. You read the Berean study in Bible, these things serve as an illustration. 
It tells you in the, in the Berean literal Bible, it says, which things are allegorized, for these are two covenants. So it's telling you, as you begin to branch out in your studies, that the, the Bibliotheliotext is written allegorically, and they've taken and compiled information and personified the historical activities allegorically in composite people. Now, as Arias Christos was, was writing the New Testament, he was taking the attributes attributed to nature and carving their attributes into the Bibliothelial text. And we'll go over that in a little bit. But those individuals who are, who are noted literally all have a correspondence to the personifications of nature that was represented in Ikuta on the Marinetta. Now, when we're looking at the story of creation, or before we go into that, understand that when you're looking at the Holy Bible, or you'll see that if you're looking at the uh, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, it'll say um, the Holy Scriptures. Holy comes from the word halig, which means Sanskrit, or um, and it'll, it'll go back to the sun, S-U-N. Also, we'll deal with the word fire. Bible means paper. Scriptures means text. So you're looking at the sun papers or the sun, the sun writings, S-U-N. The fire Writings, the fire papers. And this is all going back to the different angles or angels represented by the sun. So most of your allegory is wrapped around your planetary or, or cosmological alignments and how they dance with the sun, how they revolve around the sun. And so the angle in which the light reflects off of the planets gives you your angle or angel of information, which then becomes energy. And so based off those angles or angels, energy, you get different happenings in this 3D sphere. And so that is the allegories that's wrapped in the Biblios Heliotech. You'll look at Solomon. 
Saul. Solomon. Solomon literally, literally represents the sun. S-U-N. The 700 wives and concubines represents the starry planets aligned around the sun. It represents, they represent the solar system. The number 700 is represented, one, for the seven as a divine number, but two, because it's immeasurable, uncountable. So it represents the universe as it orbits around the sun. You will also see um, Samson and Delilah. Samson, again, represents the sun, S-U-N. Delilah, in some correspondences, will also represent the moon. His locks are going to also represent the rays of the sun. His locks are going to also represent angles of information. They're going to represent, the locks are also going to represent the spiritual tie to the forces of nature. Hence, the cutting of the locks is going to represent eclipsing of the sun. And so it is going to come through as why Delilah convinced Samson to cut the locks. And so when you're seeing, when you're seeing all these different things, of course, um, they're given to everyone as if these are literal happenings that someone uh, walked in and actually had these things happen, the two pillars, you know, being crushed. There's all um, symbolic of different attributes and universal energies. You're also going to have the story of creation. The story of creation is going to be given to you as if it is a literal story. Allegorically represents several different things. One being Adam presents to you the atom and the atom being the basis of the genification of all living things. And the Eve representing evolution. And the atom being spun into the evolutionary process that formates all cells and manifest into the body. And you'll see this um, 
being told this way, and you'll see that if you go back and actually read it, you can see where they're explaining the process of generation that the body goes through. You'll also read in John 1.1 where it will speak to you about the process of creation and will give you the code for the process of creation in even in your uh, day-to-day life. In John 1.1, 1, 1, you will read, in the beginning was the word, the word, phonics, sound. That's the word. And, in the, and the word was God, God, Germanic, high German, got for good means that which is invoked or to invoke, to pour a libation. And the word, the phonics, was the invoker, i.e., the word was God. However, if you're not privy to understanding definition, then you will miss the whole point and allow them to teach or speak to you as if these things are literal. So you will read in the beginning was the word, and they will be able to tell you that the word represented Jesus um, and that the word was with God, and which means that Jesus and God were together and the word was God. Now they just gave you uh, two attributes of the Trinity. Um, and this is the, the, um, the religious story that they give you. And the people, unfortunately, are getting the, the ritual without the understanding. The word religion means to align or realign in one of its means. And the purpose is to realign us with the understanding of our ancient foremothers and forefathers. But you can only do this by understanding the text that's presented to you. You'll have the story of the seven seals and the opening of the seven seals and of Christ opening up the seven seals. Now, for those who have come into the teachings of Islam, Islamism, you know that Islam is given in degrees. And these degrees or angles of the seven seals become Michael, Gabriel, Zamael, Raphael, Sachael, Anael, and Kasael, or what you mundanely will refer to as Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday, Michael, being the day of the sun. Monday, Gabriel, being the day of the moon. Tuesday, Zamael, being the day of Mars. Wednesday, Raphael, being the day of Mercury. Thursday, Sachael, being the day of Jupiter. Friday, Anael, 
being the day of Venus, and Saturday, Kasiel, being the day of Saturn. And with those days, which a day is a period of sunlight between the nightfall, you can understand the different energies that are ruling the planet at those days. When you get into different breathing techniques, those that are taught within uh, the Buddha degree of information, you will get into even how to breathe based on the day of the week. Starting out breathing through uh, one nostril based on the day of the week, a certain amount of breath, sometimes alternating starting out on the day of Michael, where you would start out with your left and do a certain amount of breath so that you are able to absorb the energy that is being dropped on the planet that day and put yourself in complete harmonics with the sun on the day of Michael, since that is the planetary energy that rules that day. When we're looking at the story of creation, we're going to walk through it a little bit. We're going to read Genesis 1, and we're going to break down the different angles that's being presented and what is being said on um, esoterically. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth proved to be formless and waste, and there was darkness upon the surface of the watery deep. And God's active force was moving to and fro over the surface of the waters. And God proceeded to say, let light come to be. Then there, then there came to be light. Now, in the in that Genesis, what was just rep, represented there was the angle of Aries. Aries is the word of the Kabbalah. It is mind in action. Aries is Lord of creation. It represents divine intelligence. It is the I am. It is the, in Genesis 1, it's the first manifestation of pure intelligence. It impels the life atom, Adam, in the evolutionary process. It symbolizes the sacrifice of the angelic state. It symbolizes spring, the thinking power, or the thinking mode of operation. You'll also see it in, again, in John 1, 1 through 3. Again, it also represents the planet Mars. Aries represents the first thought, the I am, the first mode of divine intelligence. That's what you're seeing in Genesis 1. 
Now turn your attention to Genesis 1, 24. It says, and God went on to say, and that's Aries, God went on to say, let the earth put forth living souls according to their kinds, domestic animal and moving animal and wild beasts of the earth according to its kind, and it came to be so. The it came to be so is a representation of Taurus. Now, we know that Taurus is represented from April 21st to May 20th. And then if you were to continue on to verse 25, you'll get to the point where it said, and God got to see that it was good. Taurus represents the first reaction of spiritual conception. It is the mind's attention to itself. So it is, it is the mind looking at itself, recognizing self. It's the first emanation of matter in the ethereal state. It is the first sensation of consciousness. It is the first sensation of divine love. It, Taurus is the, Taurine is the bull. Um, it represents the fact that matter is supposed to be the servant of spirit. And matter is a necessary vehicle for consciousness and intelligence. It's ruled by Venus. Now, in Proverbs, is going to make another mention. Turn to that here. Proverbs 8, 22, says, Jehovah himself produced me as the beginning of his way the earliest of his achievements of long ago. From time infinite, I was installed. From the start, from times earlier than the earth, when there was no watery deep, I was brought forth as with labor pains, when there was no springs heavily charged with water. That is the first spark of creation. That is the first emanation of the movement, the downward spiral of creation. So you have the thought, and then you have the what is produced by the thought. And you have the mind that thought it taking a look at itself and saying that's good. That is the representation of Taurus. Then you move to Genesis 1, 26. It is going to tell you, and God went on to say, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have in subjection the fish of the sea and the flying creatures of the heavens and the domestic animals and all the earth and every, every moving animal that is moving upon the earth. And God proceeded to create, create the man in his image. In God's image, he created him, male and female, he created them. That is Gemini. That's your Castor and Pollock. 
that's your Cain and Abel, that literally is the division of the masculine and the feminine principle, the male and the female, the right and the left hemisphere of the brain. It tells you God created them. Now, God, the invoker, God said, phonics, the word, the masculine and feminine principle comes into action. You had the masculine and feminine principle first together within Taurus. Now it's separated. It represents, Gemini represents aspiration and sensation. Now it's separate, but it's actually forever intertwined. In order for proper balance, you must, you must bring them back together. It represents the union of reason and intuition. Now, intuition has been uh, regulated, or excuse me, relegated. And now you have us walking around with the executive forces being the ruler, but the executive forces are off kilter. Now, Gemini is ruled by the planet Mars. And whenever you're seen, even in the story of Castor and Pollock, although you'll see that in times they're represented, Gemini will be represented as both masculine. But again, this is you're dealing with the change of patriarchal rule. But whenever you're dealing with the twins, whether both masculine or both feminine, they are always representing Gemini, always. And one is always going to represent intuition, and one is always going to represent aspiration. And you'll see that in the stories, aspiration is always greater or given the forefront over intuition. This story of Cain and Abel, Castle and Pollock, and you can go down the line. Now, if you turn to Genesis one thirty-one, you're going to see cancer being represented. It says, after that, God saw everything he had made, and look, it was very good. And there came to be evening, and there came to be morning, a sixth day. Thus, and the heavens and the earth and all of their army came to be to their completion. And this, by the seventh day, God came to completion of his work that he had made, and he proceeded to rest on the seventh day. Now, cancer represents the state where he's saying that it was very good in verse 31. It also represents exalted rest that starts out in chapter 2. It ego sees that it is good and rest. So that's what it tell you that, <clears throat> that God saw what he had made, and it was very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. Cancer, when you're dealing with esoteric cosmology, Represents rest 
in the divine or ethereal state. It represents the last point of rest before the downward ascension into the plane of matter. Cancer is susceptible uh, to inspiration. It symbolizes love. Uh, it deals with the respiratory and reflective organs of the brain. Um, you're going to see that in the story, as you keep reading the story of creation, that it deals with, let me see here. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, You're going to see that in the story of creation, that as the story goes, you're going to see it plunge further, continue to plunge further into a decaying state. Now, esoterically, as you're reading how cancer is represented represented here, is going to tell you that in the divine state, the cancer represents the divine rest. But because of longing, it will still continue to plunge into the downward spiral. Now, for those who are listening, they're also telling you the actual plunge of our spiritual state. Okay, you're going to see a correlation that are made here to different spiritual states that we've taken on also. Now, Genesis 6 says, Consequently, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was something to be longed for to the eyes. Yes, the tree was desirable to look upon, so she began taking of its fruit and eating it. Afterwards, she gave some also to her husband with her, and he began eating it. Cancer, again, is ruled also by the moon. And that scripture is dealing with cancer being susceptible to inspiration. Dealing with the woman being influenced by the serpent. That is the esoteric attribute of cancer. Also, you're going to see in Genesis 6, the representation of Leo. Because as you go through the saga of how the serpent approaches um, evolution or Eve, if you go back up to four, it tells you at this, the serpent said to the woman, you positively will not die. For for God knows that in the very day of your eating from it, your eyes are bound to be open, and you are bound to be like God, knowing good and bad. This is a representation of Leo seeking immortality. This is the first action now of the actual downward spiral. You have the exalted rest in cancer, still on the ethereal plane. Now, cancer, due to a longing, due to a longing, 
decided to continue on and seek immortality. And with that seeking immortality, left the ethereal state. Now, if you were to read... Out of your first chapter of your circle seven, you will see the correlation here. We're to tell you that without a foe, a soldier never knows his strength, and thought must be developed by the exercise of strength. And so, this carnal nature, this is speaking of the plunge with Leo, soon became a foe that a man must fight that he might be the strength of Allah made manifest. And that's giving you part of the science of what happened with the coming into or this plunge from the ethereal into this physical plane. Leo represents the infinities of the heart. The serpent worked on the feminine nature of Eve. Leo, of course, is the royal symbol. Uh, It's majestic. Um. It also represents the ripened fruit brought forth from our set, um, the sacrifice and the laws of compensation. Islam, Brother Hassan, I see you there. Um, it represents the final time that we rested in the ethereal plane. It, Leo also represents defiance. Of course, it is the... Um, the tribe of Judah. Leo also represents the heart because the heart is the redeemer. Uh, And, of course, Leo is ruled by the sun. Also in Genesis Genesis 6, um, excuse me, Genesis 3, 6, as you continue, it gives you the reaction. And so I'll start with six again. It says, consequently, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was something to be longed for for the eyes. Yes, the tree was desirable to look upon. So she began taking of the fruit and eating it. Afterwards, she gave some also to her husband, went with her, and he began eating it. Then the eyes of both of them Began, became open, and they began to realize that they were naked. Since they sewed fig leaves to cut together and made loin coverings for themselves, later God heard the voice of Je- later they heard the voice of Jehovah walking in the garden about the breezy part of the day, and the man and his wife went into hiding from the face of Jehovah God in between the trees of the garden. Now Leo, of course, is uh, excuse me, Virgo, uh, is August 23rd to September 22nd. And it is the version of the Zodiac. It's also going to represent Aset in her state um, before the process of procreation with saw and transforming uh, herself into the dove. 
It represents maternal instinct. It represents self-preservation. You have the immaculate reception. You'll see that Virgo in the garden is fascinated by the allurements of matter. Uh, goes against Leo um, and is lured in to these allurements. Virgo is go- governs the, bio- the bowels. Virgo sees how good material things are. Again, Virgo was lured in. From the state of being a virgin, Virgo was lured into these things. Virgo was fascinated by the by the allurements of matter, fascinated by being like God. That's what Virgo represents on the esoteric plane. And again, I want to make sure that when you're looking at this, you have the difference between what you're going to see from the esoteric side of the with the explanation, and you're going to have the esoteric explanation of these things, and they're quite different in many ways. Some are the same, but they're quite different. You won't see in the um, exoteric as much about um, Virgo and self-preservation, or um, it won't take you back to its relationship with Leo. Okay, it won't take, also won't take you back to the representation in the Garden of Eden. Virgo, of course, is rude. By Mercury Now you're going to see Libra play out In 3, 6, and 7 And in Libra They're represented as naked When we Are here you must pause because in Libra is represented one of the most arcane and one of your most secret bits of knowledge in your sacred or secret societies. Libra represents the time on the planet when we were ethereal And we're dealing with the calendar or calendar dates of a few million years ago. So in your studies of the esoteric knowledge, when you get into certain aspects of it, they will tell you that at one time, both masculine and feminine energies were one. And this is dealing with the time where they were, where we existed as ethereal beings on the planet, not wrapped in this flesh as we are today. This was a non-vertebrate being. But vert Libra represents both masculine and feminine energy. It is bisexual. Libra is hydrogenous. Libra, in this instance, represents the transition 
from the ethereal to the material. Libra represents the waking up to the illusions of matter. Night has now prevailed. Night being represented as the plane of matter. Now your celestial celestial state has been lost. So no longer are you in the ethereal plane. Now we've dropped down. And now that we come to a point where in order to regain, it must be regained through trials and tribulations. It represents, also Libra represents uh, Lucifer, and it represents the morning star in its heightened state. Now, after the fall, it becomes the evening star because now Libra is clothed in matter. Now, Libra is clothed in matter at this point. Libra is ruled by Venus. Now, if you were to turn to Genesis 2, 25, they're going to tell you that, and both of them continue to be naked. The man and his wife, and yet did not become ashamed. Now, if you go to 3, 24, And so he drove the man out and posted at the east of the Garden of Eden the cherubs and the flaming blade of a sword that was turning itself continually to guard the way to the tree of life. And 4.1, now Adam had intercourse with Eve, his wife, and she became pregnant. In time she gave birth to Cain and, and said, I have produced a man with the aid of Jehovah. Later, again, gave birth to his brother Abel. That's Scorpio that's being presented to you there. In Scorpio, now you have produced beings. The soul no longer is intertwined, but the soul is separate. Scorpio represents the animal passions. It also represents the complete into the plane of matter. It represents the desire for procreation. It also represents the flaming sword that gores the four corners of the earth. So you'll see in where it says, depending on your version of the Bibliothelial text, you'll see that it'll say, and Adam knew Eve. Same thing had intercourse. So from Libra, you have the duality. Libra, you're still bisexual, androgynous, androgynous. You're still one. 
but because of continuing to fall with the spiritual state. This is a spiritual state here, and it's just being played out in allegory for you. With that spiritual fall, you now lost the ability to produce asexual beings. You no longer could create within yourself. You no longer could reproduce yourself. So the next mode or process of creation becomes a split. With that split, that split itself, the action of intercourse is represented at Scorpio. So that's the action of intercourse. That's the Scorpion nature, the animal passion, the desire for procreation. And Scorpio, again, is represented by Pluto. Now, if you go to chapter 4, verse 12, Let's see here. It tells you when you cultivate the ground, it will not give you back its power. A wanderer and a fugitive you will become in the earth. Also, we're not going to read Genesis, the whole chapter um, 5, but if you want to, uh, you can go and you can read there. But we will go to Genesis 11. And we'll deal with um, some of it there. I guess I can re- I'm going to read 1 through 9. It says, Now all the earth continued to be of one language and one set of words. And it came about in their journey eastward. They eventually discovered a valley plain in the land of Shinar. And they took up dwelling there. And they began to say, each one to the other, come on, let us make bricks and baked them with a burning process. So brick served as stone for them, but bitumen served as mortar for them. They now said, come on, let us build ourselves a city and also a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a celebrated name for ourselves, for fear we may be scattered uh, over all the surface of the earth. And God and Jehovah proceeded to go down to see the city and the tower that the sons of men had built. After that, Jehovah said, look, there are one people, and there is one language for them all. And this is what they start to do. Why now there's nothing that they may have in mind to do that will be unattainable for them. Come now, let us go down there and confuse their languages that they may not listen to one, to one another's language. And accordingly, Jehovah scattered them from there all over the surface of the earth, and they gradually left off burning the city. That is why its name was called Babel, because there Jehovah had confused the language of all the earth, and Jehovah had scattered them from there all over the surface of the earth. That is a representation of Sagittarius. Now, I'm going to tell you, too, as you begin to study and as you look through these things, as you read these scriptures, 
you're going to be able to see many uh, of the different attributes contained. If you're paying attention, you're able to see that even in, um, I think it's verse and 7, they again speak about um, Libra, about them being one. And that when we were one, and it's speaking about language, again, phonics, now we're talking about creation, we're talking about the spirit, that there was nothing that was unattainable. But primarily it's representing Sagittarius. The Sagittarius um, represents the descending to a polarizing point. Sagittarians seek expression. The Sagittarian is represented by the centaur, uh, the half-man, half-horse, with the arrows, with the bow and arrow. The arrow, the bow and arrow represents the shooting of aspirations in different directions, trying to find meaning and trying to find favor. Uh, Sagittarian, of course, is 180 degrees um, of Gemini and represents the taking of the knowledge, and it seeks self-expression. Of course, the Tower of Babel, uh, the four corners of the earth. Now, the mode of forces is the thought. Uh, The governing forces of humanity, uh, it represents government. Um, The bow and the arrow represents the restless spirit. You'll always notice that um, even on a exoteric level, people who are Sagittarius, they are doers. They're always seeking a way to express themselves. A lot of times, Sagittarians speak with their hands a lot. They're restless. They're always moving. The Sagittarians are the children presented, created, coming through Scorpio. So you have Scorpio that represented the actual act, the actual act of intercourse. And then the produce, the product of that act and the culmination of the spiritual fall of all the different aspects of the spiritual fall become the Sagittarian. Now the Sagittarian takes all of this information starting with Aries and the Sagittarian wants to express it. So you started out on the ethereal plane with the word in Aries. And through all these different expressions, you get to Sagittarius and Sagittarian, they want to go use the information. And so as we descend it, as our story of creation, and our spiritual fall is being um, enveloped here, it's speaking about how our allurements for matter and our wanting actually to be 700, to be 720. Okay, this is the true understanding of 720. Our longing to be 720. is what plunged us into this. 
And so once we got into this, and this is where you see in the Quran, where it tells you about the foe, and every soldier needs a foe to fight. And so the flesh became the foe because we were seeking to know the lower self. And this is what the prophet speaks about. The true uniting of Asia will be fought in a battle that will will not be able to be told in words because that is the, the inner personal battle of the uniting of the higher self and lower self. This is also the secret of the garb that the Masons wear. You'll notice that the Masonic apron covers the lower three chakras. And it is a representation, and they have a compass and square over that area. And that is the representation, the right angles, and circling your square. And being able to control your lower nature. And so through us wanting to do and understand and learn this lower nature so that we truly could be one with Allah, you have the Sagittarian who now comes out shooting the arrows in different parts of the world, seeking expression, expression being seeking knowledge, Represented by the centaur. And it, again, it represents government. It represents the control of self and the control of others. Sagittarius is also ruled by Jupiter. Now you have Capricorn. I want you to turn to Philippians 2.10. I'm going to start at 9. For this very reason, also God exalted him to a superior position and kindly gave him the name that is above every other name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the ground. And every tongue should openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Capricorn. That's Cronus. That's Saturn. Capricorn represents the polarizing point in the plane of matter. Capricorn represents the lowest point in the arc of necessity. It is the symbol of the higher and lower state. Capricorn prepares the soul for an upward journey. Capricorn symbolizes rest in the plane of matter. 
Capricorn is the 180 degrees of Cancer, which represented divine rest. Now, Capricorn represents rest mundane, rest in the 3D. Capricorn now represents the struggle in life. Capricorn represents, takes the lessons from the Sagittarian. The Sagittarian has shot all the arrows seeking to know. We came here to know. Sagittarius now wants wants to know. Is going out, the centaur is going around shooting arrows, shooting arrows, shooting arrows, north, south, east, west, shooting arrows, shooting arrows. I want to know, I want to know. I want to learn. I can do it all myself. I'm going to control myself. I'm going to control others. I can do it. That's Sagittarius. I can do it myself. That's Sagittarius. Capricorn comes along. Capricorn falls to his knees. And you need to imagine that. Capricorn represents the falling to the knees, the looking up at the sky with your prayer hands, saying, I need you, God. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Christ. That's Capricorn. Capricorn represents realizing that you need your complete self. You need your connection with your creator. So you fall to your knees as if to beg, to plead for help. Capricorn sees the struggle. It recognizes the struggle and knows and realizes I can't do it by myself. Whereas Sagittarius represents I can do it by myself. Capricorn represents no, I can't. Capricorn, again, represents the preparing, the preparing of the upward journey. Why does it do that? Capricorn represents that preparation because Capricorn realizes it doesn't know. Capricorn realizes, I don't know. Capricorn represents chapter 43 of your Circle 7 Quran. Chapter 43, that's Capricorn. The I don't know. I need you. Knowledge, I don't know. That's Capricorn. All needs will be in to exalt the Christ. Capricorn recognizes that it needs the Christ degree. Now you have Aquarius that's January 20th to February 19th. Aquarius now represents the upward spiral. The soul's evolving 
It represents progress, knowledge. Aquarius represents the legs. It's the prototype for the next ethereal state. Its planet is Uranus. So you just came out of Capricorn. where you realize you need help. Sagittarians thought they got it. They can do it themselves. Capricorn, no, I can't. Now you have Aquarius that's representing the progress, the knowledge. It represents progress and knowledge. Because now you're taking in the knowledge so you're able to progress. Now you can start to go back and move back into your spiritual state. It represents now the soul is able to evolve upward. Now you can move back up, back into this ethereal state. You're no longer religious, now you're spiritual. You're no longer religious, now you're spiritual. Now you're in the information age. Information, knowledge. Now you're seeing progress. You're seeing religion overturned. And people are moving into the spiritual state. That's the representation of the upward spiral of the soul's evolution. And everyone is going through that. Some people were more prepared because they started studying years ago. Some people are finding themselves in conflict, which is bringing out all, which is driving them insane because they're not prepared for the energy. Those who have studied or who are willing to study and not block Christ, not block the Christ, not block the Christ, are able to evolve because you have the knowledge. And so Capricorn fell down. I need you, Christ. So the knowledge was given. Now, Capricorn can progress. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew 4, 10 and 19. It says that walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. who is called, two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, letting down a fishing net into the sea. But they were fishers. And he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's turn to Matthew 27, 45 and 46. says, from the sixth hour on, a darkness fell over all the land until the ninth hour. 
In the ninth hour, Jesus called out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabathani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pisces. Piscean age. In Matthew 24, I mean 27, 45 and 46, Pisces is represented there. It is the sign and the seal of past labors. Pisces represents your labor pains, you bearing your weight. In that time when Christ is calling out, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabbathani, she's saying, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Pisces represents the lesson. Can you bear your weight? Do you got it? Have you learned? Have you learned? The Piscean age represented the world going through lessons, the culmination. That's why there was so much war, turbulence during the Piscean age. That's why you had no peace on the earth during the Piscean age. Pisces represents lessons. What are you learning? Tell me your lesson. Tell me what did you learn. That's Pisces. When, when your mother or father disciplines you, has, has you do something, and they say, okay, what did you learn from that? That's Pisces. They're asking you to tell them Pisces. When you tell your son, when you're giving your son or daughter instructions, that's Aquarius. When your son or daughter comes and says, I need help, that's Capricorn. When your son or daughter says, I can do this by myself, that's Sagittarius. Know our modes of speaking. The true truth of the 12th fact letter of Jacob. Know that. When you have a, a child that, or, or, or a parent, or whoever it may be, that's always creating, that's Aries. When you have a have a have a child that is into the books, or one who perceives them, you know presents themselves as very balanced, they can see both sides of the coin. That's a balanced Gemini attribute. Now, before I move on, we got a few minutes. If anyone has any questions, I got more to go over, and but I do want you to go ahead and push one, so that we can get the uh, the questions or comments in before we get off the air. What I'm going to end the show with is I want to go back to the uh, twelve steps and show. Uh, we're going to go into the representation of the of the um, the, uh, the apostles. 
So if you have any comments, you can go ahead and put one. I can see you. But when we're dealing with the apostles, again, what you have with the apostles is that you have the um, the son, S-O-N, S-U-N, represented as Jesus. And you have the apostles who rotate around the sun. And when Arias Piso wrote these things in, understanding that he had access to the information, he wrote in these different attributes. And those different attributes were based on cosmology and the personifications of nature that were found on the Metanetta. So if you go down the list of the apostles, you'll be able to find each one and their attribute representation of one of the uh, planets. You have Peter, who was vibrant, fiery, and and impulsive, remember? He was airy. Now, this is back to your more mundane, exoteric side of the representation of them. You also had Simon, who was more of your outspoken and he was more of your determined um, individual. Remember, he refused to pay taxes. He represented Taurus. You had James, who was the eloquent speaker. He becomes a preacher in Jerusalem. He represented Gemini. You also had Andrew, who was a homebody. He also brought his brother, um, he was the one who brought his brother to Jesus. He was a loner. His first thought was family first. He represented cancer. You had John. John, of course, is the, is the leader of the early church, um, hospitable, um, He really was one who loved Jesus, uh, thrived of love. Um, He represented Leo. You have Philip. He was a calculator. He was the one uh, who knew how to identify Jesus because he was a studier of the early writings. You also have Nathaniel. He was one who, remember, was more of your fair leader, but he was also manipulative and at times overbearing. He represented Libra. You had Thomas, very suspicious, he uh, must see, uh, he must feel in order to believe. But he also represented the fact that within the Scorpion nature, once a Scorpio knows, they're unshakable. Now you had James, who was 
a lover of travel. He also was very intuitive, honest, um, justice um, was very sacred to him. He was also the first disciple put to death by Herod, Herod. But he died for what he believed in. He represented Sagittarius. You had Matthew. He respected authority, hardworking, proud. Um, he was a tax collector. He was very stoic, um, also two-faced, um, sometimes represented belief, but would act contrary to his beliefs. That's the representation of the mundane Capricorn. You have Thaddeus, who is very questioning, very loyal, uh, very curious. Uh, he represented Aquarius. And then you had Judas, who represented duality, the two fishes. He was withdrawn. Uh, he was also very shy to himself. Um, Again, that's Piscean nature. So with that, hope we did some good. You know, gave you all some a um, little bit more information about how to see things um, when you're reading the Sun Papers, or when you're reading um, the Sun Reader. Uh, it looks like Sister Amber uh, Dean. Yes, yes, you can actually. I'm not sure, um, Sister Amber, if if you are on Facebook. Um, if you are, the same link that I posted on Facebook for the class, you can actually go back and just play that again, or you can go to blogtalkradio.com and put in conscious vibes, and then put in the title to the show. Um, let me see. What was the title of the show? Uh, I had the title of the show as Break, Breaking Biblical Code. So if you put in Breaking Biblical Code, Conscious Vibes Radio, Breaking Biblical Code, the show will come right up and you can play it. You can replay the whole thing. Um but anyway, last last thing I want to um, go back and um, want everyone to please support more Unity Clothing. It is a, the true first time that as more as we have a actual clothing line that actually is going to take our knowledge and put it out there. Anytime I wear the clothing line, I have people coming up to me wanting to start conversations want to know who I am, want to know the knowledge. So it's a great way to allow you to radiate the light without having to say a word. Um, we have the shirts, the tees for women. We have what's the first IT, which is a depiction of, an, uh, uh, of a Moabite woman with her um, first eye lit. And has the um, more on the earrings and with the uh, the L on the shirt on the T, uh, very well done. We also have the queen T, 
which um, is more of a form-fitting shirt, more form-fitting tee for the Moabite women. That's bedazzled. It is the exact same fabric, the exact same look as your BB. And I always go back to that because really BB was my inspiration for doing the queen tee and the other tees because I got tired of seeing Moabite women walking around in stuff on their chest uh, saying BB, and they probably don't know who even BB is. It's a representation of some Anglo-Saxon that we're that that our Moabite women are supporting, putting their children through school. Um, we have some more clothing for for the Moabites coming um, here in the near future, but we'll get that in as you support what we have now. So we're not going to overload ourselves and dump a bunch of finance in. We need you to help help. That's why we're doing the clothing. We're not doing the GoFundMe. We're not doing any of that. We're trading you great products for your hard-earned finance. And so I need you to support that. You can, you know, check it on Facebook. Um, friend me on Facebook. Um, by entering my attribute, Rami L. Bay or Rami L. Bay, either one. Um, you can also go to um, store, uh, excuse me, square up, square up, like circle square, square up, forward slash store, forward slash more dash unity dash clothing. And uh, that will take you right to the clothing store. It's at a very fair, fair price. We have the polos that are 100% cotton, fully embroidered for men. Um, those things are off the chain. So just support it. Um, if you need to get in contact with me or if you're looking to do any type of classes or lectures in your area, um, contact me at Northgate Bay, Northgate Bay, B-E-Y, of course, at gmail.com. And, um, you know, we can do, um, again, any function in your area, or you can contact me regarding any other thing, questions or, or what have you. And so we'll end there. I want to say I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to join me this evening. Um, peace and love, and I'll see you next week. Shalom. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.